Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. Isn't doing church with Jesus so much more fun than doing church like we want to sometimes? I I just love the moments when we get to do what what He wants to do, and uh, the goal is just do that all the time. But um, if you've got a... um, for phone, uh, there's a QR code going to be on the screen behind me in a minute if you're a first-time guest. Thank you, George. Y'all get up for George, our usher team, serving folks every week. Treat me like a diva up here. Can't even bring my own stuff out. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, we're doing something called Angel Tree this Christmas. Have you heard of that? Angel Tree provides uh, Christmas gifts for uh, families who are maybe having a hard year and uh, can't, maybe it's going to be hard for them to do Christmas, you know? And, uh, and so we want to partner with some families and make Christmas possible for some kiddos. We've got 31, um, 31 angels out on the tree out there, which represents a child that we're going to be able to provide Christmas for. And so if you haven't got one already, I know there's a few out there. I grabbed mine this morning and... Uh, and uh, it's just a list and an age and uh, boy or girl, the needs, the things that they like. And, and so if you, even if you want to partner with another family to make it possible, um, especially with some of the teenagers, uh, they, you know, some of that stuff's a little more expensive. So you might want to partner with somebody to make that happen. These are due back to, to the church, to the warehouse. Look at me. See, I caught myself. To the warehouse. We're the church. This is the warehouse. Um, on December 14th. Don't wrap the gifts. We got that covered. We're going we're gonna to take care of getting it to the people, but the drop-off is, uh, the deadline for drop-off is uh, December 14th, which is next Sunday, right? No, two weeks from now. Okay. Tell how the holidays are already jacking my timeline up. Youth Christmas party. It's happening this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., at the Barker's house, okay? So don't show up to the warehouse this Wednesday night, youth. It's gonna be the Barker's. We're gonna be sending the information out via text this week. Um, And then um, there's gonna be bonfire, pizza, s'mores, hot chocolate bar, looking at Christmas lights. Come on, lots of fun, eating too much. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? And then if you've got elementary uh, kids, come on, where are my elementary kids at in here today? They're not paying attention. Okay, so um, so if you haven't heard, we bought this warehouse and uh, we closed on it, and we're doing some renovations. And because of we're making our kids' space back there even more awesome, we are having our elementary kids in here with us during um, during December. Okay, and so what you can do, parents, if you have elementary kids, you can go out to kids check in at some point any Sunday in December. Get you a little, uh, it's like a little guide where the kids can do stuff while they're in here. And also there's, there's stuff you can do at home with them during the Christmas season just to kind of follow up with the lessons that they're, that they're learning, what they would be learning if they were back there. Okay, does that sound good? We're so glad you're in here, kiddos, by the way. We love you. How many know they're not the next generation? They're this one. They're not the future of the church. They are the church. No junior Holy Spirit, all that stuff. Well, we've been in a we've been in a uh, series called Kings Moments That Matter, and what we're doing is we're picking uh, a few of the kings and looking at lives um, 
and, and choices and decisions. How many know we all come to places in our life that's like a fork in the road where we can choose to do things God's way or our way? And, uh, and it matters, the decision we make. Choices matter, decisions matter because they can change the direction and quality of our lives. Can I get an amen from someone who's experienced that? And so we're looking at King Jeroboam today. And if I had a title of the message, it would be When Things Go South. So already, you know, this is going to be an uplifting, encouraging message. That sounded like K-Love, didn't it? When I was in my 20s, I started uh, my first full-time ministry job, right? And it was at a church in Alabama, and uh, a country church. And, um, and I, was, I was hired to be the youth pastor and worship leader. But it said we didn't call it worship leader. We called it music minister because that's more prestigious. And um, no, just kidding. But, but my first Sunday, let me just give you a paint a picture for you. So we had the pews. We did have a screen, but we had a piano over on this side and we had an organ over on this side. And I stood here behind the platform and waved my hand in the air as I called out hymn number 426. Now, if you're used to that, they're like, yeah, that's how I grew up. If this is church to you, you're like, what <laughs> is that? Like, I've never, I don't know what that's like. But, um, but my first Sunday, that's, what, that's how we did it, man. 426, oh, victory in Jesus. You know, we did that. And, um, and I had not been there long when the, the lady who played the piano came up to me and she says, uh, hey, you know, I got some transition going on in my life and it's time for me to step out of this role and for somebody else to do this. And, um, and I said, yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you for serving as long as you have. And just, man, you've been great. And it was kind of like, bless you. And now I'm thinking, okay, now we got to find a piano player. And I got to thinking, who could play the piano in, the, in this church? And then I was like, wait a minute, I play the piano. But see, that wasn't even in my box, even in my grid, because that's not what it's supposed to look like. And so I just did it. And we turned that baby ground around and I got down, I got down on the, on the floor on that piano and the choir was still up and come on. So choir. And, uh, so, so I, I sat down here, right. And it went well. I thought it went well. It's like, well, this is kind of cool. I like playing and leading worship at the same time. And, uh, and the service was over. And an older man in the church, from way back in that corner right there, beelined it to me. And he says, so when are we going to get a piano player? And I just jokingly said, well, I think we got one. He did not reciprocate my humor. Um, and he said, I've been going to church all my life, and the piano player sits right there. And the song leader stands up there and pointed to the stage. And it was like, it was, I mean, I was like, oh, oh, this is serious. Like you're <laughs> like, this is a problem. I didn't realize that, you know, and, uh, and it just struck me. It's like, how can, how can we be um, so like set in our ways that that would actually disturb us for some change like that to happen? And then before I got real huffy about it, I realized that I've got a lot of religious mindset in me sometimes. And I still do to this day that when things are different or things get, get, get changed up, I get a little panicky. 
How many are good with change? You're just great with change. Love it. Most people are not. You're weird, okay? Like most human beings, their predisposition is not, I just want to change things all the time. No, because we like comfort, don't we? We love things to be familiar and comfortable. And, we, you know, you do the work and then you're just like, okay, it's done. And now we can enjoy this and we can sit back and relax. And um, if anything challenges our preferences or our traditions, we get a little like, oh, wait. And I think that's perfectly normal. And that guy was just, I thought that was funny, but it, it really, that conversation opened my eyes to some of my own things. I was like, well, you know what? Why do we do it this way? Why do I think this way? Why, why do I think this tradition is better than this tradition? And you may have found yourself in that, in that place too. Um, Jeroboam, in order to understand King Jeroboam, we got to do a little bit of history lesson, okay? Are y'all, are y'all ready for all that this morning? All right. So I'm going to take it back just a little bit. There are certain places in Scripture that carry an importance um, in God's overall redemptive story. And one of those places in Scripture is called Bethel. Can you say Bethel? Bethel. Now, that's the English pronunciation in the Hebrew. Two words, Beit El, house of God. It's the house of God. It was a place of encounter. It was a place, a holy place. This was the plot of land where Abraham first called on the name of the Lord, Genesis 13, and he built an altar and he sacrificed there. It was a place of promise for, a peep, for the people of God. It was a place of encounter. It was a place of holy visitation. And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, found himself in the same exact place years later, running from his brother Esau. How many Bible people in the room? You remember that story? And he lays down on a nice, comfortable pillow, a rock. And he slept and he, dream, he dreamt of angels. And he encountered God in that place. There's something special about that Bethel plot of land. God just seemed to want to meet people there. God just seemed to have marked a place of like, this is where I want to just touch people. This is where I want to call destiny out. This is where I want to, to put promise into the, my people. And then generations following those moments, Bethel will become a place really of national identity for the people of Israel, even a place of pilgrimage. In, in the book of Judges, you find them about to go to war, go to battle, and they go to inquire of the Lord to get a word from the Lord about what they should do, and they go to Bethel to do it. Why? Because they got a history with God there. And like God is here. We hear his voice here, his presence. It's an important place. And then years later, the king that we talked about last week, King Solomon, remember him? Why is this guy who ever lived? He asked God for wisdom. God gave it to him. Solomon's reign was coming to an end. Even with all that wisdom, like we talked about last week, he didn't end well. Toward the end of his reign, he began to take wives from other uh, nations and other religions. And, and uh, that was a direct, um, what am I saying? Yeah, no, no. That was, a, that, was a, that was a big no-no in the law for the people of God at the time. And what he did by inviting idol worship in, not only did it taint his house, but it 
tainted the nation and how they viewed God. And so these decisions, these little decisions, and I joked last week, you're like, come on, girl, you can bring your gods with you. That's how it started. And he just let things remain. And then it poisoned a whole nation and how they viewed God and related to God. And after Solomon's death, two kings, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Solomon's sons, they split the kingdom in half. So now it's not just the kingdom of Israel, but there's two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom, and it was be called Israel. We say Israel. And then there was a southern kingdom, and it would be called Judah. Judah. So Israel, Judah. Judah was ruled by the king Rehoboam. The northern kingdom, Israel, was ruled by Jeroboam. All right? Now here's, here's, the, here's the important part to notice here. So Rehoboam is camping out at the headquarters of Israel. Like Jerusalem is in Judah. The temple that Solomon built is in Judah. I mean, it's kind of brand new. Still smells like paint. And like, there's just one generation. And, and Rehoboam, one generation away, and because of Solomon's um, legacy, where he let false worship in, within one generation, the whole nation had not only split in half, but they were worshiping other gods. And so Jeroboam thought, okay, so I'm in the north, so we don't have Jerusalem anymore, which means we don't have a temple anymore. And I feel like there's more of a reason to be on Rehoboam's side than there is my side now. So I got to give them a worship alternative. And then this is where we find ourselves in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. It says, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will likely revert to the house of David, Judah, south, right? If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to King Rehoboam. And so after seeking advice... And if you read other parts in scripture um, about Jeroboam, he surrounded himself with a bunch of guys his age. That, and he surrounded with him with some people who would just say yes and tell him what he wanted to hear. And he didn't let the older people who had experience in history get into the conversation. Anyway, that's just a side note. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Sounds like great advice, right? He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. You don't got to go all that way to worship. Like, look, we're going to do our own thing here. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. You recognize this? Does this sound familiar? It's a flashback Friday to when Moses comes off of Mount Sinai. Who's seen the, the movie Prince of Egypt? I love that movie. It's not you know, totally biblically accurate, but it's close enough. Okay. It's, I love it. The music is moving. Like, I don't, just being honest with you, I, I get a little, my eyes get a little wet when I watch the movie. It's just moving. And, um, and there's the scene at the end of the movie. There can be miracles. You know what I'm talking about? And then, uh, and then there will, when you believe and everything. And then he's got the Ten Commandments. He's coming out and it goes, like the Lion King. It goes to black. Roll the credits. But if you read the Bible... That's not how it went down. 
He comes out with the Ten Commandments. And they've melted all their jewelry into a golden calf and are worshiping the God who brought them out of Egypt. And Moses is like, and busts them down and like, ah, what are you doing? And here we are generations later. We're doing the same exact thing because idolatry don't die. It's in human hearts. And so this is devastating. This is devastating. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. A place of encounter became a place of idolatry. The decision to erect these calves, he did one at Bethel and then he did one at Dan. And that's the important part. This place of encounter, Bethel, now had a golden calf sitting on it. The place where God had come down to meet and to speak promise and identity had become a place of false worship. And so there's a subtle thing that I want us to really pick up on here is that Jeroboam didn't just scrap the whole story. He didn't scrap their whole history with God and start over. He renamed God. And he rewrote the story without changing it. Let me, let me, let me go like a little further than this. He made the story of what had happened there more important than the God who met them there. And so the place became the main thing, not the God who met him at the place. The form didn't change, but the object of their worship did. Are you following me? And so tradition in and of itself is not evil. I'm a history guy. You got any history buffs in the room? I love it. I love honoring the past. I love studying revival. I love studying what God did in the past. And just, I make a big deal out of it, but it's because I just love it. I love, I think that we should look back. I think that we should have traditions. I, I, I was in, um, we, we went to the big cathedral downtown Friday night and we sat in this beautiful place and, and listened to Handel's Messiah, like this timeless, beautiful story of the gospel in, set to music. And I just, I just appreciate, I sat there and I, and I realized I'm listening to music that is really old and it's, but it's timeless. And it's like, I love this tradition of like Christmas. We're going to the Messiah, you know what, to listen to this. I love just traditions in the church. I love it. I really do. But how many know traditions can become our idols if we're not careful? Tim Keller has said, anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the best things in life. Is that not a true statement? Idolatry is simply taking good things and turning them into God things. Lowercase g, little gods. So remembrance is important, right? God, God actually told the children of Israel, hey, remember this moment. And it was over and over again. We see this in scripture. There was a 
There was a moment when they crossed the Red Sea out of bondage in Egypt and they were going into the wilderness, but God parted the sea. And he's like, sing this song. Tell your kids what happened. Tell your grandchildren what happened in this moment that God was our deliverer. And then years later, when they finally entered the promised land, there's another throwback Thursday and, and they, they, they're going to cross the Jordan. It's at flood stage. It's huge. And the priests lead with the ark of the Lord and they step in the water. And when their foot hits the water, the waters part and they walk across dry land into their promise. And God tells Joshua, put you 12 stones right here and never forget what happened. Because if you, if you forget what happened, you'll forget what I can do and who I am. Many, many times our, our, our past victories with God get us through our present valleys. And it takes us looking back to see what he did to give us faith to move forward. And it's so important. I have a, I chronicle all my wins on my, on an app on my phone. Every prophetic word that I've ever gotten is on this phone. Everything that I've, I prayed for that God broke through. And it was like this moment of, oh my gosh, there's no other way to explain this, but that God showed up in my life. I put it on my phone. I, 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 it's on a database, <laughs> I was telling, me and Adam were talking about this this week. Like, I, I, it's not enough just to keep up and steward those things, which if you don't already start doing that, just write them down, keep them somewhere. It's not enough just to do that, though. It's like, you got to rehearse them. You got to read over them. You got to revisit. And I'm telling you, the points in my life where I'm the most discouraged, I can get out of a funk just by reading what God's done in my life because we forget real easily. And so I'm, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm all about looking backwards and pulling in what we've learned to keep us going. I'm, I'm all, a bit, all about looking at tradition and bringing those good things along that help us contextualize the faith. I love that stuff. But the moment that I attempt to recreate or memorialize what he's done in a way that elevates that moment above my present relationship with him, I've stepped off the path. And I've started just ever so slightly to replace God himself with what he's done. Even Romans 1, Paul tells us, instead of worshiping the creator, they begin to worship the created thing. There's an old song that says that instead of worshiping him, the creator... They worshiped the created things and called it God. And that's what they did with the calf. And you think, you know, you think Old Testament with this stuff and you think, you think golden statues and stuff like that, but we do the same thing. And more often than not, like Tim Keller says, it's the best things in life that we tend to make God things. And so staying on the correct path is all about the direction that we're going in. If the path is here, one degree will over time get me off the path. And so the important thing is keeping our eyes fixed, keeping our gaze fixed on Jesus. That's why this morning, you heard Jesus about a million times already. Because he's the main thing. And I'm, I'm not ending, but I do want the worship team or whoever you got to come up here real quick. Just give me, just give me a little bit of music to close out with. But I want to tell you another story. 
as Andrea's playing. There was that same church that I was there for eight years. You know that I told you about the piano over here in the organ? Over the course of eight years, a lot of changes took place just in the area of worship. Adam started leading on the stage with a guitar, and that was really different. And then we added drums. I think Rob was playing drums back there. And, and then, then we had a bass guitar, and then gasp, an electric guitar every once in a while. And, uh, and I'm just so excited, you know, and I'm like, we still got a choir, but we got people on mics and like, Things are changing and it's getting fresher and I'm trying to honor just because I am that like that peacemaker kind of Enneagram nine, but I, I love the past and I love the future. Like I can't be stuck in either one. Like I want both. And so I try to like, as I'm planning like songs, I'm like, I want the old people to be able to connect with this, but I want the young people to be the able to connect with this too. And so we just kind of freshen up the old stuff and introduce some new stuff in a, in a different way. And, and it, it was, it was creating life and man, you know, some, sometimes you can kind of sit through church and just barely sing. And, you know, there were, there were Sundays over a period of time where people were clapping and hands were raised and like they were actually singing and it was like, it was good. And I thought everything was going great. And one day I was, I was working at the church building and a lady came in and she says, Gunnar, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, let's sit down. And so we sat down and um, I knew where it was going. And so, you know, you just kind of brace yourself and you're like, okay, here we go. Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. You know, you're like, I don't know what's about to happen. And... Um, and she says, Gunnar, I'm just, my heart's broken about where our church is headed. And I knew what she meant. I knew she meant things are changing. Like we're doing things differently than ever before. And like, it's hard to deal with. And like, I don't know how I feel about this. And you know, you, you automatically, you get ready for a fight, you know, when somebody says something like that. But I looked in her eyes and I'll never forget this moment because it's, it's helped me, it's, it's shaped how I see a lot of different circumstances in ministry now. I looked in her eyes and tears are welling up in her eyes and she says, why can't we just do it like we always have? And the fight left me, to be honest, and I could see her heart. And what I saw as, man, we're making this better, was actually a threat and even wrong in her eyes. And here's why. Because as a little girl, the moment she had with God in the very formative years of her life were in a context of the way we used to do it. And she encountered God there. She experienced the sweet presence of Jesus as she sang out of a hymn book. And I could see that little girl as she was bearing her heart toward to me. And there was anger. It wasn't just sadness. There was anger and there was hurt and there was misunderstanding and all that stuff that was inside of her. But at the same time, I could see where she was coming from. 
And I realized in that moment, it's really easy to equate what God has done with who He is. And it's a very fine line to walk between walking with Jesus and looking forward while still looking backward and appreciating the past and appreciating what He's done in our lives. But here's what I want to remind some of you today. Some of your testimonies, if I ask you to stand right now and you said, tell me your testimony. Your testimony would be your story when God touched you when you were 16 years old. But you don't have a testimony that happened this week. I sat in a I sat in a service several weeks, several years ago, and I remember the man standing on the platform and he's talking about the reality of God in his life, answered prayer, miraculous things God was doing in his life where he would just pray and things would happen. And I sat there and I was so convicted because I said, Lord, I don't have any stories. And I didn't. I didn't have any stories. If you'd have told me, what's, what's God doing in your life right now? I would really have to stutter and stammer to figure it out because I was disconnected at that point in my life. I was, my gaze was not fixed, if you will. And there wasn't a present reality of His nearness and our, our stories weren't intertwined. They used to be, but they weren't right now. And I wonder if there's anybody in this room today are watching online that you've got a story with God, you've got a history with God, but you don't have a present with Him. And I just believe the Lord wants to continue. He wants you to know today, I've got a story to write with you. I've got a story to write with you, but as long as you hold on to the past, you can't go where I want to take you. So I want to ask you this question. What areas of your life do you see slipping in that way? I'm going to get, can I get real with y'all? Can I get, can I just get specific for just a minute? Because I think that helps me sometimes. As much as I love what God has done at the dwelling church, if I make the dwelling church the main thing and Jesus takes a back seat, I have begun to worship something that is not God and I've made an idol in my life. How about you? Oh, I just love it here and I've found community here and I love the worship here. I love how everything is and blah, 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 blah. That's great. And that's true. That's true of my life. I've never had community like I do here. I'm the pastor. And pastors, it's hard to find community when you're a pastor. <laughs> People be real with you. And I love everything about this place, but this place cannot have his seat. The vision values of this house can't take first place to Jesus. The culture of a church can't take first place to Jesus. So don't let the way... We do church become a God. How many know that right now, somewhere in this city, they're doing worship in a really different way, but God's still there? Like this might be shocking. Like what, what you saw this morning, like what are the flag, what flags? You know, like, wait, that's, 
I was thought it was supposed to be reverent and it's loud in there and people are shouting and Chuck is screaming like, what? But how, but how many know, I, 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 had a, I had a dream not long ago and I was, I was downtown in one of these um, liturgical churches, you know, the ones where you do the sur- you do the, you sit down, you stand up, you do the thing, you read, you, you recite. I love that stuff. And in the dream, that's really different than here. But in the dream, I was in a service like that and we were all literally, I think we were reading something off a page. But the truth of what we were reading combined with just this nearness of God, it's like his presence just fell in the room and everybody in there's just weeping because what because something's becoming real. And as I woke up, it's like, you ever had those things? I don't know. I had, a, I had heard a voice as I woke up and, he, and I felt like the Lord said, I can, I can move anywhere on anything I want. And I feel like it was just a little nudge of like, don't, hey, Gunner, don't get stuck in what you think I want or where you think I am or else you might be like Jeroboam and make Bethel the main thing rather than an important place, yes. Something to be treasured, yes. But don't replace me. Don't replace me. We can do that with our families. We can do that with our kids. We can do that with our businesses. We can do that with our schedules. We can do that with our theology. We can do that with what we do. Can I just say, don't let what you do for God become your God? But find Him. Can you find God when you're doing nothing? Can you connect with God when your hands are not busy? It's a good test. So just right there, bow your heads just a minute. Just talk with him. Lord, what are you showing me today? What are some things I'm holding on to that you want me to lay down? What am I I making idols of in my life? And just in your own way, just lay that down right now. Just right there where you are. I give you that, Jesus. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole mind, your whole life. And I promise that what he's got planned for you is better than anything you can plan for yourself. So surrender is the best option with Jesus always. Look up here. What if we were able to hold our traditions, our methods, our ideas loosely enough to let Jesus mold it into what he wants. Sometimes I'm like, here I am, Jesus. Here's my heart. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like in 2020, the Lord, the, the word of 2020 for me was release. 
trying to control outcomes, trying to control people, trying to control everything because I don't want this church to fail. And I've got to have my hands on the steering wheel. The best thing I ever did was let go of the steering wheel. Because number one, it killed an idol in my life. And it actually ripped my identity from something I wasn't supposed to find my identity in the first place. How many know your assignment is not your identity? These people over here know that. Your assignment is not your identity. What if we were able to hold our traditions loosely enough to let Jesus mold them into what he wants? I believe that revival and renewal of a city, what we're after, come on, are you after that? What we're after is dependent upon the church's ability to adjust to what God's doing in any season. And so, I don't have to say this because you see it before your eyes. Things are changing around here. I mean, the literal building is a different color. There are, there are people, like we hired a staff member this year. Um, since the beginning of the dwelling church, leadership has shifted and turned and looked different ways. Worship has looked different ways. It's shifted and it's, it's flowed to different throughout just, just different ways. It looks different. If you were in the theater in, in 2018, what we have today looks a lot different than that. What I'm saying is this, if we're walking with Jesus, things will always be changing. Is that comfortable? Heck no. But I'd rather go with him than be comfortable. How about you? So I guess the challenge is today, like, if we're gonna go with Jesus and we know that things are always gonna be shifting and adjusting, how, not, how about we just live like this rather than like this? So the challenge is don't hold on to the past. Don't hold on to expectations. Don't hold on to preference. But just live like this. Jesus, I may not know how to do this. I may not be comfortable with this. I may not understand this, but I'm, it's your church. These are your kids. This is your, whole, your house, Lord. This is... This is your family, and I give you control, and I trust you. Remember what I said last week? Control is a trust issue. Trust him today. Let's see this, let's see this hope and a future happen together. Because I believe that's the only way that revival renewal is possible for us to just live like this and adjust to what he's doing in every season. So let's start with our own hearts today. His way's best. But if we embrace it, there's a real life that's on the other side of surrender. You believe that? Let's all stand on our feet. If I could have our community leaders, this is the last week of communities for this semester. If I could have any community leaders, come on up here and receive, be ready to receive people for ministry. If you've got a prayer need in your life, I know we've already prayed over each other out here today already. But if you need healing in your body, if you need just somebody to shoulder a burden with you, something you're going through, or if you say today, look, I just need Jesus in my life. I think I've got religion, but I don't have Jesus. Come talk to one of these folks up here 
and they'll lead you to, to really what it looks like to have life in Jesus. Okay, let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. Thank you for your word that sometimes, um, sometimes likes to demolish things, but that's a good thing because what you want to build is even better. And so, Lord, we release all of our, um, all of our idols, all of our preconceived notions about who you are and what you want, and we just live open-handed, open-minded, because we want you to lead us. Maybe just as a church right now, we just say this together, just in a way to, uh, just an act of surrender. Jesus, lead us. Can you just say that? Jesus, lead us. You're a good shepherd. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You guys have a great week. Come receive prayer if you need it. Love you. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.